0: It was in 1984, one of the most influential books of our time was released. It was a book by Arlene Eisenberger and Heidi Murkoff, and it fundamentally changed the world. It's to this day one of the best-selling books of all time. It was a little book titled, What to Expect When You are Expecting. It was basically a guidebook for how to raise children and help them survive. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when you come home from the hospital with a baby, they don't give you a manual. They give you the kid. And they say, good luck. So this book became very popular. In fact, I have to wonder, before 1984, I'm thankful to be born just after that, before 1984, how did parents do it? How did they raise kids? How did they keep them to do things and survive? Like, could you imagine? Mary and Joseph could have probably benefited from this book. But here we are without that. Now, 30 years later, there was another book by a similar title by a man named Jonathan Last. And Jonathan Last wrote a book called What to Expect When No One's Expecting. And he simply took a look at the Western world and talked about what happens when people stop having babies, when no one is expecting children And he basically begins by pointing to Greece. Greece has a birth rate of 1.3 per couple right now. The sustaining rate to sustain a culture is 2.2. Greece at 1.3 is now in this economic nightmare where they actually, as a country, declared bankruptcy. And other countries will soon follow suit, such as Spain and Italy and Germany, at 1.3, 1.4, and 1.5 children, respectively, per couple. America is about 40 years behind that trend at 1.8 children per couple. And what he basically says is uses history to look at Rome... And Greece and other cultures, and say, when these cultures became filled with luxury, children got thrown to the wayside. So, for example, Rome, that had an average birth rate of six children per couple, back then you needed about four to four and a half to survive as a culture because of infant mortality rates and younger life, uh, uh, shorter lifespans. When Rome went from six children per couple to less than two, They soon found the destruction of their civilization. Two of the biggest factors to the fall of Rome was the disintegration of family because of sexual liberty and being able to do whatever with whomever, wherever, and whenever. And number two was the disappearance of children. No one had kids. Greece did the same exact thing before them. And this man simply wrote this book and said, here are the numbers, here's the statistics, here's the history, this is what happens. And... He received very critical uh, critiques. Most people said, Your numbers are on, your history is spot on, but you seem a little apocalyptic. You seem a little over the top. You seem a little extreme for my taste. Last year, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, our own church body, hired an independent demographer to look at the demographic studies of the LCMS and other church bodies and why churches are shrinking. And after all the pages, after all the study, after all the time, the demographer said the number one reason we're shrinking, no one's having kids. No one's having kids. He had an interesting statistic in there. We had more, in 2015, we had more adult baptisms than children baptisms. Which for a second you're like, we're reaching the adults, we're reaching the converts, we're converting the world. And so... But there's going to be no one to convert the next generation. There are simply no kids. They released the study, and you know what everyone said? You're crying wolf, you're crazy, you're over the top, there's no way it's that bad. It really. And most people just wanted to throw out the study and say it was garbage. There's a man named Elon Musk. Elon Musk uh, is the inventor of PayPal. After he got bored with that, he started a company called Tesla, which does luxury high-end electric-powered cars. After he was bored with that, he decided to start a company called SpaceX, which does space, uh, privatized space exploration and is the number one supplier to the International Space Station because they can do it at 20% the cost of NASA because he learned how to re-land his rockets after sending payloads up to the space station. This man is a brilliant man. He's possibly one of the brightest minds of our age. He was recently asked about overpopulation in the world and what's going to happen to our world. And you know what he said? He said overpopulation is not the problem. The problem is we have an inverted pyramid, is that there's no kids and the top is going to fall over. He said that's our number one problem right now. There's no kids. You know what everyone said about him? You're a fool. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know anything. You... One of the brightest minds of our, of our time. Why are we so angry when people suggest babies may not be a bad thing? Why do we throw all these people under the anti-family bus? And we know it's a problem. The world knows it's a problem. China a few years ago stopped their one-child policy after 35 years. Because they now know that by the year 20, uh, 2035 over half the population of China will be beyond working years. They will have over 500 million people who will not be working and less than 500 million people in the workforce. They cannot support it and they know it. And the one-child policy made most people have sons instead of daughters. And so there's no women. There are no women. China doesn't know what they're going to do. And they realize that it's too little, too late. Singapore has a birth rate of 1.2 per couple. They offer you $18,000 to have a baby. They offer you eighteen dollars to have a baby. And no one's taking it. Because they love their life of luxury too much. There's a new movie that came out called The Boss Baby. The whole idea of The Boss Baby, anyone watch it? Anyone? A couple hands. The whole idea of The Boss Baby is upper management sends down a baby who's... A boss to solve a problem. And the problem is this. Families love pets so much they don't have love for children anymore. And so they're choosing pets over children. Now, that would be funny if it wasn't so sad. There are 94 million cats in America. There are 90 million domesticated dogs in America. There are 73.6 million children. There are more dogs and cats in our country than children by far by far and the pet industry has blown blown up to a 70 billion dollar a year industry it's exploding and the crazy thing is we we in america have less kids in the 0 to 17 demographic now than 10 years ago our 0 to 17 demographic is shrinking and population is going up almost exclusively through immigration it's not through kids So why don't we have kids? Why don't we have children if we know it's a problem? Why don't we have kids? Well, number one, most 20-somethings are more focused on their careers. They don't want to get married anymore. It's a hassle. It's a burden. It's a barrier to life. And so they rather just wait as long as they can. And there's some impressive numbers behind that. They rather pursue their careers. Women who delay childbearing increase their professional worth by $16,000 a year they delay childbearing. Well, when we've told our kids the most important thing is to be successful, why should they have kids? We're talking tens of thousands of dollars they're missing out on. Another reason is that children are hard. And so we say, that's for other people, that's for dedicated people, that's for pastors to worry about. They're hard, they're difficult, and we don't want to do that. Pets are much easier. Pets complain much less. You can leave your pets and go to the movie at night and not feel guilty about it. You can't do that with children. It's illegal. (laughs) I'm thankful my parents didn't think to themselves, "Ah, kids are too hard and we're not going to have any. All of us should be thankful for that. Children are expensive. But here's the thing about that. They're only as expensive as we make them to a point. How do the people in the middle age do it? How do people in third world countries do it? They make it work. They make sacrifices. Here's the problem. All these statistics, all these numbers, all these figures I can throw at you, here's the problem. We turn children themselves into an economic question. That the value of a child is based on on the investment spent on them and what Rewards we can reap from that. And so we even, why do we compare them to the peers all the time? We want them to excel so that they are productive. Why are we so obsessed with this? Why do we believe child, children are so hard and so expensive? Because we're listening to the voices of the world. Why do we believe it's impossible to have more than one or two children? Otherwise, I can't give them all the experiences they deserve in order that they can be successful. Why do we buy into these lies? Because the world keeps saying it again and again and again and again. Why are we obsessed with making our children productive and successful members of society like the world tells us we should? Why are we so obsessed with making them live up to the standards of this world? And I would propose that this obsession we have has caused us to devalue life. We see life in terms of economics instead of image of God. And it allows us to commit great and terrible atrocities against those who are less productive or mean less or have less value and purpose in this world. This is how for over 40 years we have justified in this country abortion. But beyond that, abortion is nothing new, brothers and sisters. That has been going on forever. Why? Why? Why would the Romans take babies out to the hillside and let them die by exposure? because they were an economic burden on the system. I've even heard people talk about, well, that child would just be an economic burden, and that family can't sustain the baby, so it's better the baby's not born at all. We have allowed ourselves to let economics change how we value life. We live in a country where 50% of the people say they're pro-life and 50% say pro-choice, give or take. Yet 80% of babies pre-diagnosed with Down syndrome is aborted. Are we really as pro-life as we think we are? In Iceland, a couple years ago, they ran a piece that said they, they eradicated Down syndrome. And their world is better for it. How did they do that, brothers and sisters? What atrocities do we justify? Because of money. And here's the thing. If we can do this with our children... Watch what we do in 50 years when all of our population is beyond working years. Watch it. It's going to happen because we can justify anything for the sake of the economic whole, for the sake of our comfort and our well-being. It's all based around production. Is that our greatest value? Is that the greatest value we have is the work we do? Where's our greatest work something else found within the family itself? It boggles my mind that God put into our hands the power to generate new life. That God put into our hands the ability to create life and family. And entrusted that to us. Hebrews has an interesting emphasis. It says, by faith Abraham generated. What did Abraham generate? Not GDP. Abraham generated Isaac child, a son. And this one, this man, who was as good as dead, he was so old he was as good as dead, now has descendants as numerous as the sands of the beach, the stars of the skies, and if we may, on a northern Indiana sunny Sunday, the snowflakes of the fields. Countless inhabitants. How did, how did Abraham grow God's people? children, and he raised them. How did Isaac grow God's family? Children, Jacob and Esau. And he raised them. How did, they, how did Jacob grow God's family? He had 12 sons. The children of Israel. The tribes of Israel. And he grew them. We want to be missional. We want to outreach. How will we outreach the future, future generations if there's no kids? There's no children? None. And Simeon tells Mary... Simeon tells Mary, behold, this child is destined for the rise and fall of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be contradicted. Hear hear those words. Simeon is telling Mary, Jesus' life will be hard. And we know that in retrospect. We know that. Some people will even say, Jesus only had three years of ministry. How much of his potential was wasted? It wasn't wasted because it was given so we could have life. Jesus' ministry was not wrapped up in his teaching. It was wrapped up in the gift of self. And the life he offered for us. And so Simeon starts with that. Your son's life is going to be hard. You could look at the cross and say it would be better if he was not born. But would it for us? It was all gift, brothers and sisters. And then he says, and you yourself, Mary, you yourself a sword will pierce. Mary, it's going to be hard for you. It's going to hurt. You're going to suffer. Anyone who has been through parenthood knows this is just the reality. Could Mary have had an easier life? Yes. Can you imagine Angel Gabriel comes, like you're going to be a child, some of the most high, and she's like, eh, I'd rather have a chihuahua. Like, could Joseph have had an easier life? He wanted to leave Mary. He wanted to divorce Mary and do his own thing. And the angel Gabriel came and said, no, you need to be there for him. So December 28th is Holy Innocence. So remember, it's of Holy Innocence where, where Herod came through and, and he slaughters all the children to and under because he's afraid of his throne being taken. It's a culture of death, brothers and sisters. It's a culture of death. He slaughters them all, the whole power. And Joseph takes, he leaves his work, the career he's built, his, his family, his fr- he leaves it all. Joseph picks up and takes his—everything his, he has, he leaves behind and takes Mary and Jesus. And he brings them to Egypt to flee. All Mary and Joseph did was for this child. Think of all the—we sacri- talk about the sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus must not be underestimated, but we talk about it a lot. Think of the sacrifices of Mary and Joseph that allow this to be possible. All they did for this child so that he may be raised— and protected, and cared for. And when they sacrificed for Jesus, they ultimately made sacrifices for us. Imagine if we had Joseph here now and we were able to ask him, what was your greatest work? What was the greatest thing you did with your life? I don't think he would say the door I made for my neighbor Isaiah was pretty solid. Or that he would say the years I took perfecting the table were well spent. I, I bet you any money he would say raising and, and caring for Jesus and caring for Mary was my greatest work. How many hours do we spend on countless things? Is there anything more important than caring for our families? To being family. Now, do I say all this to make you feel guilty to make babies? No, I promise. But you're welcome. You're welcome to make babies. It's fine too. I don't say it, I I say it to make you think today. Maybe we're not quite as open to life as we think we are. Maybe our words and our actions don't always line up with what we truly believe. Both our own families and our own openness to that life and the, the life around us. Even the way we talk about life. How do we talk about our children? And I can fall guilty of this. I'm like, oh, there's such a. We can fall guilty to that. Don't. Don't. How do we talk about our kids to other people? There are people that can come up to someone like me and be like, you're destroying the world with children. I I read a 1950 article that was complaining about overpopulation. It said by the year 2000, America was going to be destroyed and have over 600 million people. It's not a problem right now. We're actually going the other way right now. 1950s, they were saying the same garbage. Brothers and sisters, now, now we're not going to have like a million babies here and raise the birth rate to 2.2. 2. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But maybe we can live a little bit more as if life mattered. For those of you who are barren and sterile and unable to have children, we grieve and we mourn with you. I cannot understand that pain. But I can be there with you through the pain and we offer our families up to be your family. Is this not a family here at Trinity? It needs to be. Our family is your family. This, this is all something we do together. Why did Mary and Joseph not need what to expect when you're expecting? Because they had family. They were surrounded by community. The book came out around the time that family and community started dividing. And no longer did grandma teach Mom, teach children what it meant to be family. For those of you well beyond childbearing years, help us. We need it. You have great wisdom. You have great love. You have great understanding. You did some things well. Share those with us. You did some things horribly. Share those with us so that we don't do the same things. We love you, and we're thankful that you get to be part of our family. If you see my four children around, take them. <laughs> we, we truly see this as part of our family. This is our family. You guys are our family. The, you guys are the, the, the kids and the adults and the grandparents to our kids. That's a wonderful thing. This is my desire, that the, our, our family here at Trinity looks like the holy family. And I don't mean in some ultra-pious way. Or sometimes we have that idea, that, like this ultra-pious, over-the-top sense. No, rather just living as if life mattered. And celebrating it, and embracing it, and being there, and, and being with each other, and healing each other through our pain, and our struggle, and our suffering, and our joys. This is, and it's not just about children, it's about the entire Christian life. Brothers and sisters, it's about the entire Christian life. How many times in our Christian life, in our Christian walk, do we simply use the words as an excuse of, "It's just too hard. That's for the other Christians. I'm just going to skate through. If Jesus was raised from the dead, if God came to earth, what else matters? What else? If you ever get to just block out an entire day and, and contemplate the fact that God came to earth in the form of a baby, God came to, why? We don't expect anyone to do anything for us. Why would God come to earth in the form of a baby? God could have entered the world however he wanted to. He could have come with t- trumpets blasting and with a six-pack and muscles. He could have. He came as a baby. He chose to enter a family and put his, his life in the hands of Joseph to protect him from all danger. He put his, his life and his care into the hands of Mary who nurtured him and, and remained near him even in his final moments to death and was a witness of the resurrection. And this same God now desires to enter our families. Are we open to life? Entering through our door and bringing life and, and radiating and permeating all of it around us. Life and a culture of death. We can't, we can't save the world. We can't give the world Jesus, who saves all. So let us, let us t- spend time today, even as we celebrate as a family of faith, to just open our hearts and our lives and our families that God may enter in. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.